If someone were to ask me what I was thankful for above my salvation, there is nothing but my wife I am extremely thankful for. Great job, great job. Well, there wasn't supposed to be this many of you here this morning. <laughs> Just, Pastor Scott gave the announcement that I was going to be preaching and that he was going to keep everyone on video camera to make sure everyone that was here that heard that arrived. And you did, and then some, and you brought some guests with you. Um, so anyways, it is wonderful to, uh, to be in the house of God, to worship God on this wonderful Sunday after Thanksgiving. As, as, um, as I thought, <laughs> when, when Pastor Scott called me and, and asked me or sent me a text message uh, to ask me if I would preach, uh, shoe in, right? Thanksgiving, easy. Um, and then the anxiety set in. It didn't take long, maybe 20 minutes. I mean, I was really excited when he first called. I mean, excited. I was driving down the road. It's hard to believe I didn't run off the road. I thought, wow, he's asked me to preach on Sunday morning. That can only mean that Aaron and John are both going to be gone. Um, it's going to be a holiday weekend, so it'll be a kind of a slack crowd a little bit. Everything should be fine. But uh, as it turns out, Aaron and John are here. Uh, and so are all of you, uh, and, and it's worked. But, but I, th- I thought, let's, let's, do something, let's do something that we can all grab a hold of, a, a biblical reminder to be thankful uh, for your blessings, but to not find your value in the blessings, uh, but in our salvation. Perhaps a passage from Ecclesiastes or, or Proverbs, uh, or maybe even Job. Uh, being thankful uh, for our salvation and and not necessarily what we have. My thoughts were locked in on the theme, but there are so many passages in Scripture that remind us to be thankful. I just couldn't narrow it down to one and, and, and be able to start putting words on paper. Then I was walking around my backyard, just walking around, looking at my chickens, you know, all kinds of that fun stuff. And there it was inscribed in the side of a tree. I just wanted to make sure y'all were awake. That didn't actually happen. (laughs) I don't, I don't believe things like that happen. So just in, just in case you were wondering, uh, but actually I was reading, uh, in a devotional written by one of my seminary professors, uh, Dr. TJ Betts, uh, a title 40 days in the Psalms. And that is where it clicked. All throughout the Psalms, the writers are always secure in their hope. Though there may be a struggle, a questioning of God's presence in situations, they're they're firmly fastened to the Lord and His sovereignty and His grace. Passages such as Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off? O Lord, why do you hide in times of trouble? There's a time there that, that God's presence is questioned. But then in the same chapter, you have the psalmist writing, the Lord is king forever. The nations have perished out of the land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. How about Psalm 18? The pangs of death surround me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. And then we can all say this together. 
He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. As children of the Most High God, the creator of all things, the Almighty God, we know what happens when we start to put our faith in other things such as riches and possessions. They fail us and they leave us grasping for the Lord. We understand that our value is not found in the land that we own, the car that we drive, the house we live in, the number of zeros before the decimal point. Remember, if they come after the decimal point, they don't mean as much. And I'm not, I'm not the pastor of this church, but I feel at ease to say this, that if you have found your value and your worth in what you own and the riches of possessions, you, my friend, are wrong. And you should make an appointment to see Pastor Scott immediately. I hope that he is not busy. I feel that as I speak to you as a church, that, that you know that where our value is found. You know that, that in, in, as we're going to see in Psalm 49, our value is not found in those riches. Our value is not found in our possessions. Our value is not found in our cars and in our land and all of those things. But our value is found only in the salvation of Christ. It is only found in what we are rooted in as being the blood of Christ. So if you would please turn in your scriptures to Psalm chapter 49. I'm going to use two scriptures today. I've heard that I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going to do that anyways. Pastor Scott's not here. So Psalm 49 and then put your finger there or the little ribbon that comes in your scripture and flip over to Matthew chapter 6 as well. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21. In our time... Just as the time of the psalmist that we're about to read, those that held the money made the rules. And though it may be slightly different decisions, the root was the same. Those that are not for God are against God. And they will use their earthly materials to oppose the ways of God. Psalm 49, starting in verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. 
This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their forms shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Keep your finger there for just a moment and flip over and we'll go ahead and read Matthew chapter 6, looking at verses 19 to 21, one that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word. I pray that we would, that we would look at this word and we would see the authority that lies in this word, that this is your word. These are your truths. These are your words of wisdom that you have given to us this morning. I pray that I would not err in the ways that I speak and that I present your word to your people. Lord, but open our eyes, open our minds, open our ears and our hearts to receive your word that, that, we, would be, that, that we would be able to glorify you in what we learn about you and that we would glorify you in all that we do in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 49 is, is considered Hebrew poetry, but it's also a wisdom literature, it's like a proverb. Outside of the text that we're looking at, if we look at verses 1 through 4, I, th I think it's important for us to, to look at that very briefly, that this is a call for all to listen to the wisdom that is being spoken. And what, what is really neat about this passage that I, that I find very fascinating is that he's actually singing this. This is more of a vocal teaching, a vocal didactic form, uh, more than a written form. Obviously, we're reading it because it's been written, but in its originality, it was given uh, through song. In verse 4, in, in Psalm 49, in verse 4, he even says, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre or to the music of the harp. So he's singing this to these people. I thought about that, but that would get boring after a while if I just played the same three chords over and over again while I was trying to preach. I'm sure that y'all would be sleeping uh, sooner than, than, uh, than we all wanted to. So Psalm 49 is, is considered... And, and when you're looking at the Hebrew poetry, a chiasmus, it's basically, it's bringing this, this repeated form over and over. And, and it starts with a point and then it ends with the same point and it makes its, its, its root and it and its fleshes it out uh, in the middle. There is both a glorious story in Psalm 49 of redemption But there's also a warning, a very stern warning to those who are consumed by the material goods and the pride that it brings. This is not just addressed to a small group, but it's addressed to all the inhabitants of the world. The psalmist does not hold back the truth of misused wealth, but in Psalm 49, he is even revealing something that most in that time had never heard of. The redemption of through the resurrection of the dead. 
As we look at this passage of Psalm 49, I want to look at three divine truths. Those who are secure in the salvation of Christ do not have cause to fear. Those who are secure in the wealth of earthly possessions do have cause to fear. And those who are secure in the salvation of Christ have a real cause to be thankful. The persecution from the, from, from the world to the believer is interpreted differently by individual people. Some may only recognize persecution in the physical sense of swords and bloodshed, while others may see an attack on ideas and methods as a form of persecution, while still others would see just the existence of the presence of the opposition to be persecuting. I, for one, can say that I have felt all three ways in the past. We know that the opposition is willing to work small and slow to prepare and deliver the ambush. But hindsight will show us that in times of temptation and failure, we must be obedient to the word. But we haven't always been. The tempter is always at work. And many of the past theologians have interpreted this passage as just that. When you read verse 5, maybe in the King James Version, if you're using that, or even the Geneva Bible uh, from 1599, the terminology of iniquity of my hills shall compass me about. This should sound familiar. It should sound familiar because of what you've read in Genesis. In this way, iniquity takes on the role of the devil. And just like the serpent strikes the heel of the seed of the woman, so does he strike at our heel. The persecution is rooted in Satan and his evil schemes to lead the elect astray, even if it were possible. The literature given to us keeps us mindful and reminds us that the enemy is there to kill, to steal, and destroy. And also to remind us that we are still at battle with this flesh. And James tells us that temptation comes not from the outside, but from within our own heart. We can find ourselves from time to time questioning our beliefs in order to justify our skewed way of thinking. Or, or if you need an example, look at the churches that are changing their statements of faith right now. Look at them changing their statements of faith so that they can keep from losing people. Because losing people means what? It means losing money. Maybe the light bill doesn't get paid. Then what would they have to do? They would have to put their full trust in God. That would be the only option left. But instead, they bend the rules as if, it were their, as if they were their own rules and have decided to serve people and money instead of God. That temptation is there all the time. And the one who is nipping at our heels is not ashamed to do it in plain sight. However, 
in the way that this text reads from a first person point of view, we can deduce from this passage and many other passages that the child of God has no reason to fear the schemes of the devil. We must be aware and we must be girded with the weaponry that we have been afforded. But because of our faith and security in Christ, we need not fear. Sometimes this weaponry is physical resources that have been made available in the way of military action. But more often on a daily basis as we are making choices as a Christian, choices as a family member, choices as a church, we will be of the spiritual essence. And as I have been making this case, even in the time of warfare on this earth, it is a battle between right and wrong ideology, where the righteous are used to promote the gospel and the value of human life, while there are those who fight for the devil, even if they don't label it that way. Because as I said, if you are not for him, you are against him. In the structure of this psalm, the question is posed in verse 5 and 6. Why should I fear in the times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Why should I fear? In the way that this is given, if you look forward into verse 15, we get the answer. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. God will ransom my soul. Why should I fear? I should not fear because my hope rests in Christ. All of my hope is in Jesus. Not a certain portion that I I wanna just divvy up to him on Sunday mornings, but all of my hope is in Christ, is in the resurrected Savior. It is in the resurrection of the dead that I find my hope. But with that said, there's the other side of the coin. The rest of the story, perhaps, as Paul Harvey would say it. Those who are secure in wealth of earthly possessions, they do have a cause to fear. This is a proverb. This is a proverb to all the inhabitants of the earth. It is written so that everyone can understand it. In this passage, one could try to put this attempt and avoid earthly death. But it leaves you grasping for straws when they read words like redeemed or a ransom. This is clearly dealing with the outcome of a sinful life lived in opposition to Christ and instead We live and walk while boasting in their own success. Look at verses 7 through 10. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. 
If you, if, if, if you think about this, if you point your eyes at this text and you actually read it, you will find that the only way to pay for your own life is with your own life. And even at that point, it is still not enough to keep you from the pit. Your life is not perfect. It is not good enough to offer. So if you're planning on paying your own ransom, then you must know that the price is eternity in the pit or hell, separated from the mercy and the grace of God, separated from even the common grace that you're receiving right now. If you have not put your faith and your hope in Christ at this moment, you are still receiving the mercies of God while you walk on this earth. There is still a common grace that is at play. But when the debt must be paid, there will only be one way to pay it, and it will be eternal. From the earthly standpoint, we have always, we have ways that we can save another man's life with our money. The cases of ransoms paid to kidnappers or traffickers to buy freedom, not, not to mention the detestable days of legal slavery in our nation where one man's life could be paid for by another. This is not what we're dealing with in this passage. This text is working through the thought that some believed as though they do now, with their wealth and clout, they would have enough to atone for their wrongdoings and their sins. There are examples of that that we can give and, and, and we don't just need to, to beat up on the Roman church because many other evangelical churches seem to act that way too. That if you just give enough, then you'll have these riches in heaven. Well, if you're depending on those monies to get you there, you're never going to see what you're, what you're putting over there. Because that's not it. That's not where we receive our salvation is not in our money. It is not in our worldly goods that have been given to us by God, but only by the true sacrifice of Christ. Somehow, people in their minds have worked into this eternal bliss as they've asked the question of what am I here for and where does it end, they start to fear for the end. I think that we can say that that is a reality in the mind of men is that they, we always fear the end. But this passage is telling us, why should we fear? Why should we fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their own wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? We should not fear. Even in verse 16, he says, be not afraid because God will ransom my soul. God will ransom my soul. As we move over into Matthew, 
chapter 6. Those who are secure in Christ. Those who are secure in the salvation of Christ have a real cause to be thankful. This scripture here, it tells us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys And this is the part that I love to hang my hat on where no thief can break in and steal. Your money can corrode. I'll give you a quick example. I just heard in a sermon from R.C. Sproul that Something that he received, I'm not sure how many years ago, I would say seven to ten years ago probably, uh, that he received a true Latin version of the Christian Institutes written by John Calvin. There were only seven on earth, and he had received one. He was the only one that had a private copy of this, of this literature. And he said the first thing that came to his mind was, how am I going to ensure it? How am I going to keep it good? Because the Bible that he had kept in the pulpit of, his, of the church had been eaten, the glue out of it had been eaten by silverfish, I guess is a big deal in Florida. Well, what, what, do, you, what do you do with that when, when you have something that the, the bug can eat? It's, it's a earthly treasure, not a bad thing to have, but it's an earthly treasure. Was, was he going to, to lay up those treasures? And he used that as an example because he said he received that book the same week that he planned to preach on this passage to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal why are we thankful why are we thankful we are thankful because our salvation cannot be destroyed by moth or rust. Our salvation cannot be destroyed or stolen by a thief, but that it is as real as the blood that flowed from Christ on the cross, that it has washed our sins away and they are gone forever. It cannot be stolen. I'll even go one step farther that you can even give it away. You can't even decide that you don't want it anymore. Of course, if you're truly saved, you won't ever make that decision. You won't ever do that. But it cannot be destroyed. Why are we thankful? We're not thankful for the things we have. We are thankful for the things we have. But we're not thankful for the car we drive. Well, of course we're thankful for the car we drive. But that's not where we find our worth. That's not, where it, that's, not, that's not where we find our purpose in life is not in those things. We can be thankful for them. We just must use them correctly. They're blessings from God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Sunday school song, right? 
I've got that joy, 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 joy. Where? 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 Down in my heart. That's where my joy is at. Because my joy is where? In Christ. My hope is in Christ. My salvation is in Christ. All that I have is rooted in the risen Savior. Because without that, I am nothing except leaning on riches and worldly possessions, which we know will get us nowhere. I said this last week in in Sunday school, and they didn't, well, they didn't have any rocks in the class, so they couldn't have thrown any at me, even if they wanted to. But I said that the number one redistributor of wealth is God. The number one redistributor of wealth is God. He uses even the wealth that that the pagan kings have to promote his people. We just, we just went through that in the book of Ezra. Isn't that wonderful? That they put all of their hope in the money and God takes their money and takes their things and gives it to his people so that he can further his kingdom. You know, there are people that are giving their money away and they don't even know how God is using it. It's just disappearing from them. Because God is the king over those things as well. You didn't throw any rocks at me either. Of course, I made sure there were no rocks in here. We, t- we, tend, to, we tend to not like the term, the redistribution of wealth. But God does that. Even in this, in this passage, it says that they die. When they die... What happens? Do they take their money with them and and buy a nice house wherever they're going? No, they don't. It's left right here. Then your children fight over it. I say spend it. Spend it up. (laughs) Be thankful. Be thankful for all the blessings that you've been given. Be thankful for this church and this church family that that God has led you to this church. Be thankful for the country that you live in. Yes, absolutely. The blessings that God has given you, be thankful. But do not fear. Do not fear that those that are in this world, what they can do to your soul. They can't do anything. Why? Why fear those that can kill you? You should fear the one that can, that can destroy your soul. Be thankful for this country. Be thankful for the things that you have that have been afforded to you. But be thankful most that you do not have reason to fear. They cannot do anything to you that would destroy your salvation. It may hinder your hope sometimes. It may cause you to question your faith, but they cannot take your salvation, no matter what, no matter what. We were just, we were just talking, I was talking earlier uh, before church. What, 
what is it the persecution that we face these days is, is the ideology persecution, right? We're, we don't have people standing outside of our church doors with, with guns and swords and, and rifles and all of these things to persecute us for coming to church. They're, they're attacking us by ideas. But in the days of Christ, the persecution that was coming was real. It was everywhere they went. There was not a day that there was not some sort of persecution. But even in that, the salvation is real. The faith may have been hard to realize sometimes, and and we may stumble and we may fail. But why do we not fear? We don't fear because God will ransom our soul. He will ransom our soul for he will receive us. The question of why should I fear is found in the fact that God will ransom us. We have no reason to fear. Just like the lyrics that that Jill sang earlier. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? Church, how can you keep from singing? How can we walk out of these doors and keep our mouths shut? How can we do that? What's in your heart? Is thanksgiving in your heart? Or is fear in your heart? Let's remember that we find our security, we find our hope, we find everything that we have in the one true God. If you would stand as I pray and then we'll sing one more song uh, that I asked John if he would, if he would sing today uh, wonderfully placed, my worth is not in what I own. Heavenly Father, this day you have brought us into t- to this building you have, you have blessed us with your word. You have blessed us in song, in truth. Lord, we thank you for this word that you've given us. That we do not have reason to fear, but we are full of thanksgiving for what you have done for us. Not just what you have provided on this earth, but the salvation that will last for eternity. In this small amount of time that we are on this earth, Lord, let us be the light that shines for you. How can we keep from singing when all of what you have done, you have done for us? It is in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.